Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton. Glad to have you with us on Growing Bolder, a program that'll show you that it is never too late to start living life to the fullest, that changes are within reach of us all, that no matter what your situation, you can make a difference. Over the next hour, you're going to hear how others found the inspiration and the courage to start growing bolder in their lives. Yeah, great point. On today's program, we've got a fascinating lineup that includes one of the most in-demand movie stars since the 1960s. We'll talk about fame, age, and beauty with the great Jacqueline Bissett, as they call her over there. We call her Jacqueline Bissett. She likes both. Uh, We'll also talk with a guy who sets records by running up mountains. His name is George Etzweiler. He's 98 years old. And we're going to talk to a true eco-warrior by the name of Robert Swan, the only person ever to get to both the North and the South Poles by hiking. But we'll start with one of the most recognizable and courageous figure skating champions of our time, ordinary people with amazing stories. It's time, folks, for Growing Boulder. You know, when things go great in life, you can feel like you're you know, on top of the world. But when they don't, Like a house of cards, everything can collapse in an instant. So what do you do when that happens? How how do you face it? How do you come back? Well, nobody knows more about doing that than our next guest. Yeah, among other things, he's the guy who has faced uh, stage four testicular cancer and three brain tumors. He's also an Olympic gold medalist, a broadcaster, a father, and he, as he says, an eternal optimist who believes that the only disability in life is a bad attitude. He's also a prolific author. In fact, his latest book is called Finish First, Winning Changes Everything. We're very excited to say hello to figure skating icon Scott Hamilton. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing wonderful. I'm very intrigued about this book because I always took you as a it's not whether you win or lose kind of guy. The book is called Finish First. (laughs) What's it about? What made you decide to write it? Well, a lot of things, you know, it's, I, I'm a father and, you know, of course, you know, I want the world to be just great for my kids. And, and I see, you know, kind of this, um, this growing, um, attitude where competition is bad, 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 bad. And that everybody's just fine and that we should just, you know, kind of just everybody's, you know, we don't need to, you know, worry about that. And, and I realize just how important competition is in our lives and, and, you know, how we, uh, we thrive, you know, when we're in a situation where we're able to um, put ourselves out there and get that kind of feedback that, that really, you know, a competitive mindset can bring. And so um, in the world of participation trophies and in the world of, you know, we're fine no matter what, um, I just decided to push back a little bit and write finish first. Um, winning changes everything because it, it just um, – so many people are, are just not equipped, you know, for what the world is and what it, what it requires. And, uh, and, you know, so I wrote a book. It was basically geared towards people in business that want to um, grow their careers, um, people in school that want to do better, um, people in athletics that want to, you know, do better, and, and um, you know, young people and, and uh, you know, how they can um, better understand um, their place in all of this. And so, um, finish first is, um, a labor of love and I'm really proud of, of what it's, uh, become. And it's finding an audience I never anticipated. And I get a lot of notes from like senior citizens that just say, thank you for giving us permission to not give up and to get out there and and get busy and go after things that, you know, we really would give our lives even greater, um, level of joy. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an argument for and a guide to um, being better than you've ever been. Scott, it's kind of interesting, especially uh, coming from your background, that you that you didn't cry. Hey, look, life's not fair. I mean, you you may hold the distinction of being like the least likely person ever to be an Olympic gold medalist. You had a tough start. I mean, you were adopted at the age of two. I think you were misdiagnosed as having six months to live, and at the height of your skating career, your height was only five two, and figure skating was more expensive than your family could afford. So, with all that against you, where where <laughs> yeah. did 
You know, you're, you could have said, hey, look, life's not fair. I should get credit for just trying. Where did you get this competitive streak? I, I must have been really stupid <laughs> to not just give up. No, I mean, it, it, um, it you know, if anything, you know, that kind of, I, I love that you said it, you know, you, you brought it up that way because it allows other people to say, well, what are my reasons? You know, it, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, when you look at the, the recipe, you know, that kind of went into what, you know, me building a life and, and, and a career, especially in skating, you know, the odds were truly 100% against me. But I think um, I'll say this. I go, we determine our odds in how we uh, participate in something. And I realized that in all my early years in skating, you know, I wasn't doing much. You know, I was kind of bare minimum. I didn't like figures. And so I didn't really like working on them. And, and it's kind of like if you don't like half your job and you're only going to do it only half your job, you know, how long are you going to stay employed or how, how good are you going to be in your job or what's your um, chances for advancement? Well, nothing. So I, I realized that um, I was underperforming um, in a spectacular fashion, underperforming. And, and um, I just, when my mother died, I just knew that, She'd sacrificed everything to get me into skating. What am I going to do to honor her sacrifices? And so it was a wake-up call, and I just got to work. And in that, you know, I'm the ninth-place guy and the ninth-place guy and the ninth-place guy at Nationals. And all of a sudden it was like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to figure out where I need to get stronger, and I'm going to, um, you know, even the places where I'm strong, I'm going to even strengthen that. So... You know, I, I ask my kids all the time, what's the greatest strength? And they answer me back, you know, lack of weakness. And it's like, right, if we can find our weak parts and strengthen those, we're going to be okay. And so um, in, in writing this book, you know, it's, um, it, it was a really fun process. Um, I wrote it with a woman named Allie Fallon, and, you know, and she had all these, you know, kind of reservations. So well, what about this? And what about that? And what do you, how do you answer this? And how do you answer that? And and it was really a, a wonderful kind of not a debate, but it was a wonderful kind of discussion on, well, yeah, I mean, here's how you get past this. Or what is failure? You know, failure can be really debilitating. Um, critics can be really debilitating. How do we address those? Well, failure basically is information. You know, it's feedback on how you're doing. Um, if, you, if you're not doing well, then you figure out, okay, now, why didn't I do well? And then you address those situations and you get better. And same with critics. If, if somebody says something to you that is unkind or cutting or, um, you know, something that hurts, you look at it as, well, is that a fact or is that opinion? And if it's opinion, you have every right to delete it immediately and just ignore it. And if it's fact, now you have an opportunity to go, oh, how can I address this in a way that will you know, prevent that criticism from ever happening again. So, you know, there's there's ways of looking at things and there's ways of shoring ourselves up. And and, and those are all the things that I learned and all the things that I've witnessed growing up and, and just different aspects of life that will allow people to know that better days are there if they decide they want to participate in them. We are speaking with uh, Olympic gold medalist, figure skating icon, Scott Hamilton. But the truth is, folks, uh, more than anything else, this is a good guy. And you can tell he's also a great father. His new book is called Finish First, Winning Changes Everything. And, Scott, I found it interesting that you said you're finding a surprising audience for your book from older people because this is what Bill and I do every day. And you really are a perfect person to carry forward the message because if we are fortunate to live long enough, it is a given that all of us will face a series of setbacks of one kind or another, and to a large degree, whether we're successful in aging or not, will be determined by our ability to bounce back, and you are a guy who has got that down. You should have a PhD in comebacks. What, what's <laughs> well, it? What's not it? a PhD you want, right? But I'm kind of grateful for it. <laughs> what's it take? What's, what's the key to continuing to bounce back and find extreme recovery? Well, I think everything is, um, you know, I, I, I guess it's that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to everything, right? You know, so um, everything has its arc. Everything has its, you know, its high point or its most intense point. And then, you know, the next thing will come in. You know, one thing will go out, the next thing will come in. So what I learned was um, that, 
you know, chemo. You know, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, so did my cancer, fortunately. Um, you know, that jobs that I did, they had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I enjoyed them, and I realized that I'm in a different season now. And what can I do in this season that will really give me um, joy and really allow me to leverage everything that I've learned? And that's just sharing it. And, you know, it's it's one thing if you want to hear about, you know, how to be more successful in life from a 16-year-old, you're probably not going to give that a whole lot of, you know, <laughs> attention. But maybe somebody that's, you know, um, sniffing 60, okay, well, you know, maybe, yeah, there's some perspective there that we can listen to. And, you know, between all the health challenges and all the failures I had, you know, kind of on and off the ice, you know, I, I learned. And, and I think the great thing about um, Finish First is that it's a broad message that, a lot of people can really relate to. And, you know, I, I try to make, you know, kind of that, the idea of being successful. It's a process, you know, a, um, kind of a, a goal type of success is built on a, a thousand successes. And, and those are basically showing up every day and moving the needle forward, you know, or um, all those are, you know, time spent and, and eliminating, you know, wastes of time and putting more um, productive time in there. And when do you rest and when do you go? And, and all these things that are, are, are really um, uh, important that are kind of broad in their, uh, in their application, you know. I mean, you know, just, you know, I, I look at, you know, just sort of the way the book is laid out. And, and it really is very logical, you know, when you find out that, okay, the first thing you have to identify is, that I'm not where I want to be right now, not yet, right? Um, okay, so what's the next thing? Well, what can I be good at? Well, you know, how do I figure out my purpose? And, you know, that is just doing kind of an inventory of what you like to do, what you're naturally um, kind of good at, what brings you pleasure, and where you are physically um, and, you know, kind of mentally um, prepared to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, move forward on. And then, you know, it's like figuring out what's held you back in the past and, and, and chipping away at those things that prevent you from moving forward. And then it's understanding that it's a long haul. This, is, this, isn't, this isn't an overnight fix. This is an instant gratification. And, and that idea of just keep showing up every day and, and then, you know, understanding your limitations and then overcoming those and, and then looking around and now, now here's where the competitive thing gets in. You want to outwork everybody. Like, who's working the hardest? I'm going to work harder than they are. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it's a celebration of uh, failure and editing your critics and, and then understanding the rules of the game. If you understand the rules of the game, you'll be better equipped to understand, you know, how they can work in your favor. And then you get to a point where, you know, now you've built this muscle and you'll never look back because you realize, you know, what it's doing for you and um, how, you know, much better and more, um, alive you feel in this process than you did when you were kind of wondering what you were supposed to be doing. Scott, you are an incredible and an inspiring guy. And thank you for opening your life to help all of us out here who are struggling with whatever it is that we're struggling. The book is called Finished First. Finish First, Winning Changes Everything. So great to have the chance to learn from a great skater, but an even greater person. They don't make people any more inspiring than Scott Hamilton. Thanks, Scott. Up next, how an elementary school principal's fitness transformation has inspired every one of her students to get in shape. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Located in West Orange County, Orlando Health's Health Central Hospital is a full-service hospital with an accredited chest pain center and heart failure program, as well as top-rated neurospine and orthopedic programs. Learn more at orlandohealth.com. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com.
You know, some of the boldest people that we meet are educators, and isn't that a good sign? After all, they work long hours for not a lot of pay to prepare children for life in the real world. And it's extra special when educators can also inspire. And you are about to meet the principal of a school called Hungerford Elementary who believes it's important to inspire young people to make good choices and to take charge of their health, and she does it by being a role model. We're having our annual 5K today, our 5K fun run. If you don't want to run, then you're going to sit and read a book. And this is the culminating activity today for you all to stay healthy and fit for the school year. Now it's time for us to do some stretching. I can tell this is an event that you really like. Tell me why. Tell me what really is behind it. Well, I'm a runner. I used to be obese. I used to be about 230 pounds. And so I'm a runner. I run at least four to five times a week. And on Saturdays and Sundays, I try to get eight miles in. So the three miles is nothing. And I want them to know what it is to be healthy, what it is to eat healthy, what it is to stay fit. Even with the teachers and the staff, it's very important to me to keep them healthy so we can be here for the kids. Sometimes it's a struggle, but I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep it going. We're going to have fun, and we're going to be running. Running? Who wants to run? Me! I train for this every day. very important because not only was I obese, but my my mom had diabetes. She's now deceased. And then my family members are overweight. So I try to be that person um, to show them, to model for them what we need to do in order to live for our kids, stay healthy and fit. Uh -uh, We have two more miles. You got this. Come on, you got So it's very important to me, the community, the culture, everyone, to see their principles, someone that they look up to, to show them that it's very important to be here for our kids and to um, just, just be that community person to show them what it's like to stay healthy and fit. Wait a minute. Wouldn't you guys rather be sitting home watching TV? No! No! Why, why running? What's so good about running? Exercise. Exercise. And why is exercise important? Because you will lose weight. Because you will lose weight. Wait, that's good. What did you say? I say we get skinny. Get skinny? You can stay healthy and live longer. Lead runner right here. Lead runner. What role do you think schools ought to play in our health and wellness? Well, the same thing that I'm doing, making sure the students stay active. And every school should take that initiative to make sure that their students are very healthy and fit. But your kids, aren't you just supposed to eat candy and junk food? No! You're going to lose your food. Eat broccoli. Broccoli. i got to eat my broccoli. This isn't even a challenge. So your your health and wellness is important to you? Yes! So what are you going to do today? But when you were over 200 pounds, if you would have heard that message, what would you have done? Well, hopefully I would have gotten up and moved. Because that's what happened. I mean, it, yeah, it is very hard because it's been a struggle through the years. I was overweight in high school. Then I went to college and I got fit. But then I had kids and I became overweight again. So it's been a struggle for me through the years. But now I've come to the um, place in my life that I said no more. So that's why every day I make sure I do some type of activity, whether it's walking or running or just maybe getting on the cycle or whatever I can do to make sure that I stay active, that's what I do, like I said, for my kids, for my students, for my staff, for the community. And sometimes I run around Eatonville so the community can see me as the principal and be the model for them. And they can say, okay, if she's out there doing it, then I want to do it too. Good job. 
I just want them to remember when they leave here, when they're rising sixth graders and they leave here, they just remember what Miss Foster has, you know, taught them and wanting it to be, you know, ingrained in them that just eat healthy and stay fit, keep moving, stay active, and then, you know, you'll be able to learn better as well. Coming up, what Jacques Cousteau did for the sea, our next guest is doing on land. Hear what this polar explorer says we all need to know. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, opening in late 2018 in Winter Park, will bring wellness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. Learn more at wellbeingnetwork.org. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com TV for program listings and where to watch. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and it is so easy to get lost, to lose yourself. Do you know what I mean? To forget why we're here, to struggle to find purpose and meaning in our lives. And one way to get it back is to go back to basics. Who are we? What are we all about? Well, more than maybe anything else, we as humans are driven to explore. It is part of our DNA, Bill. You know, exploring helps us discover, experience, understand, and not just ourselves, but the world around us. And our next guest pretty much defines the word. He's considered one of the greatest explorers ever. He took the longest documented hike in human history, walking 900 miles in 70 days to the South Pole. In fact, this is the only person ever to walk to both poles. That was back when he was 30. But get this, at the age of 60, he went to the South Pole again, this time with his son, and they became the first team ever to complete the trek, surviving entirely on renewable energy. These explorations have given him one of the most unique perspectives, made him one of the most inspiring people in the world. Let's say hello to Robert Swan. Hey, Robert, how are you? I'm wonderful. Absolutely great. You're hired. That's the best introduction I've ever had. And I I think it's just wonderful that the name of your show. And I think that what really matters to me on exploration is that I truly believe our last great exploration left on Earth is to survive on Earth, Mark and Bill. We need to look at our survival here as a species and say, well, hang on a minute. Things aren't looking too good with what we're doing to our world. And let's treat this as an exciting, innovative last great exploration to pull it round and look after the only little planet that we've got. I don't think we've got another one next door, have we? You know, we love that attitude, an optimistic look at a very serious problem. And, and you know, Robert, it's not surprising uh, that, that almost without exception, anybody that becomes an explorer, uh, an adventurer, then becomes an eco-warrior because you get to these places that we assume are still pristine environments only to discover that they are not. What have you seen in these remote locations that you wish the rest of us would see? Well, I'm very lucky to have seen them. That's the point. I'm privileged to have seen them. And where I go, the South Pole and the North Pole is made of ice. Straightforward. And if you have ice sitting on your table and the room is 32, 33 degrees, it's going to stay there forever. But click that room one degree hotter to 34, it's going to melt. So where I go is a very sensitive place, and the ice caps are melting at both poles. There is no discussion. NASA have taken photos of it. They record it. So where I go and what I've seen every year for over 30-odd years is telling us, all of us, that climate change is a reality. That's definite. Now, how much we're causing it as... 7.2 billion people on Earth, we don't know quite how much we're causing it 
to happen faster, happen more. We don't know that yet. But I'm not an eco-warrior. I'm just a really good survivor. You know, you're talking, Mark and Bill, to somebody who's really good at staying alive. Why am I still alive? Because if I see something that's going to threaten me, I do something about it. I don't just sit there and take it. So I'm on the offensive to say, hang on a minute, let's actually do something about this. If we're causing it, we've done something. If we're not causing it, well, fine, we've made a cleaner world. So that's where I'm coming from. Let's get on the attack, be positive, and be bold, be bold in our actions of saying, okay, let's use more clean renewable energy. Let's care about our resources. Let's clean up messes that we've made. It's a very simple message backed very much by my incredible son, Barney, who is incredibly relevant to young people today. He's only 23. And, and Robert, one thing you said that really struck me, you've said the greatest threat to our planet is the belief that somebody else will save it. Can the actions of one person, can we and as individuals, can we make a difference? Well, that's the whole point, guys. And it's such a wonderful show. I love the name. I can't repeat that enough. And it's just a question of saying, yes, we have problems. We do. We have a lot of problems here on Earth with water, energy, pollution, all kinds of things. And it's just saying, let's stop focusing on the inconvenient truth. We all know there's a problem. So all we've got to do is say there are simple things at a click of a mouse that each of us can do every day to make a change. And we might even save some hard-earned money by making those simple, easy, convenient solution changes. And to help people, we're doing two things. One is we have a, a modest but good website and the name of the website in numbers is 2041.com. And myself and my son are making a tour, and we've been welcomed with open arms to your great country, the United States. And we're traveling around the United States, speaking to corporations, schools, colleges, universities, uh, community people all over America, showing people that they can actually make some changes and it's not too complicated because you've got to inspire people not turn them off but turn them on and that's our purpose over the next few years in the united states of america folks we're talking to robert swan one of the greatest uh, human explorers in history he's seen things we all wish we could and i think he's also seen some things we wish that we wouldn't see if we were to follow him here to to sound the alarm that the, our planet is, is in trouble tell us about some of the negative things that you've seen other than the melting ice when you've gone to these poles i hear there's actually even rubbish there you know that's the thing even at the very ends of the world those last great wildernesses left on earth we find rubbish and garbage a lot of it is ocean born you know that we put all this garbage into the ocean and Eventually, some of it ends up in the Arctic or the Antarctic, and it's just heart-rending to see that. And, and rather than being negative about it, well, we say, okay, let's clean it up. You know, all, all the people, all your listeners around the great country of America, any parents would agree, if your children make a mess, what do you say? Let's clean it up. So it's perfectly possible to have that message in the world, that if we're making a mess, let's clean it up. It's us to, as individuals that can make a difference, and hence that's why we're touring around America and doing our best to bring that really positive message, and, and people feel inspired by that. Well, you, we are definitely listening to one of the most fascinating and inspiring environmental leaders of our generation. He's in his 60s. He's still pushing forward with no intent of slowing down in his quest to help save our planet. We want to thank Robert Swan, and you can find out much, much more about him and find out how we all can make a difference by going to the website he mentioned, 2041.com. 
Up next, meet a man who just set a new record at something so difficult they call him the Old Man of the Mountain. After all, he is 98. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Masson Spine Institute, where world-renowned, minimally invasive techniques lead to fast recovery. The Masson Spine Institute, excellence in spinal surgery. More information at MassonSI.com. Growing Boulder is on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to connect with the most inspiring people online. Surround yourself with the motivation needed to live large at any age. You're listening to Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And how many times do you tell yourself you need more exercise? But then you stop short thinking that, well, it's too late or you're too old or those knees are aching or, man, my back hurts. Well, guess what? It is not too late. Don't take my word for it. Our next guest is going to make you want to get out there and get moving right now. Yeah, his name is George Etzweiler, and he's a guy who couldn't even run a mile until he was about 50 years old. But he did make up his mind that it was important, so he stuck with it. This year, George set an all-time record at the Mount Washington Road Race in New Hampshire. And let me tell you just a little bit about this feat. It's a seven-mile run, pretty much straight up the highest peak in the Northeast, 4,700. 100 feet up. And if you think that's impressive, well, here's the kicker to the story. George Etzweiler is 98 years old. Let's say hello to George now. Hey, George, how you doing? Uh, great. Did you run this morning? Uh, no, I did do, uh, uh, went, went for uh, strength training and stability therapy. <laughs> Good for you. Hey, hey, George, if we can, let's go back about five decades, back to 49 years ago, when you were just 49 years old, what made you decide to start running at that age? Uh, a friend of mine got a hold of Kenneth Cooper's book, Aerobics, uh, outlining the benefits of exercise. He started running in Rec Hall at Penn State, where we, we were an electrical engineering department, electrical engineering professors there, uh, Anthony Ferraro, and uh, got was beating his office was next to mine. He was beating on me to join him and and got me to read the book. I read the book, joined him for running a mile up there and uh, and uh, enjoyed it and kept it up. I was overweight before that. Couldn't stay awake in the afternoon. I lost 20 pounds over the next several months and felt great. You know, George, does it bug you that that once people get to be a certain age, the uh, the society almost dictates that we wrap you up in bubble wrap. You know, uh, goodness, we we hate for you to sprain an ankle or or get hurt. Do you do you come from a different school, George, where you think activity instead of being discouraged should be encouraged? Uh, well, I that certainly was the case when forty nine years ago. I think there's more tendency to telling people to get out there and exercise now than there was at that time. Uh, there is some of that, though. People are, well, I guess there aren't many 98-year-olds uh, still running. <laughs> well, and if you keep running, you probably will keep running, George. You know, Tell me about this race and why you choose to run it, because, you know, most races might have a bit of a hill or two, uh, but you are certainly challenging yourself not just to run seven miles, but to run up Mount Washington. Why do you do it? <laughs> I, I guess the quick answer is because it's there. But uh, I had problems. I had, I had damaged knee cartilage uh, when I was in my 60s. And they had some damaged cartilage removed by orthoscopic surgery. And the surgeon said I could work myself up to a 10K, but no more marathons. I'd run the New York Marathon uh, uh, sometime before that. And uh, I discovered that I don't like to run downhills. <laughs> I like to run uphills. You get a good workout with much less danger on your knees. My running buddy and I, we keep running up a local mountain here, 
it's only 2,100 feet. That's a, that's a peak. Uh, but uh, we keep trying to figure out how we can get down without walking or running down. George, you're truly amazing. I mean, and this isn't the first. You didn't just do this once. You've run this race 13 times. How was your time this year at the age of 98 compared to last year? Well, this year it was about five minutes faster than last year. But let's see. The first time I ran it, I was 69. I did it in two hours and 15 minutes. And this year it was four hours and just a little under five minutes. So I'm slowing up with age, but uh, if you adjust for age run, using runner's age calculator, runner's world's age-graded calculator, uh, I actually beat the winner of the race who was from uh, a, a, a 24-year-old man from uh, Italy, I beat him by 13 seconds if you apply the age grading correction. Folks, we're, we're talking with a 98-year-old uh, George Etzweiler who not only continues to run, but obviously you can hear the passion in his voice, the power in his voice, his enthusiasm uh, for life. You know, George, most people, if they would have cartilage problems like you said you had, if they were overweight at 50 like you were, they, they would eventually just give up. But you just keep going. Tell us what life is like at 98, because a lot of people just can't imagine that it would be worth living to 98. <laughs> I enjoy getting out into those into that mountain, <laughs> Tussie Law Run Road up Tussie Mountain locally here, two and a half miles up to the top of the mountain. A friend and I do that. Uh, he's only seventy-two though. He's he's a kid. He's the same age as our son. We we've been doing that three times a week for. Well, he's been with me now for four years doing that. Three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, we're out there at 8 o'clock going up the mountain. I just seem to enjoy it. just seemed like I have to get out there. Mary certainly supported me in this when I first started out. As my wife of 59 years when she died, uh, 69 years, not 69 years. I suppose there's something to that in that that subconsciously makes me want to get out there. And it's not just for you, George. I mean, you can't run by yourself anymore without a crowd of media around you. You're a celebrity at 98. And with that comes, I guess, do you feel a responsibility to have a message? What, what is it you want us to learn from you? Uh, I, I'm certainly not conscious of any feeling of responsibility. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I, I, ju I just encourage people to... Do something. If they don't like running, do something else. That's coming from Kenneth Cooper's book Aerobics. He had a whole string of exercises that he rated by a point system that uh, people could do. So do something, but get your pulse rate up a little. At least 30 minutes uh, uh, a day, uh, four times a week would be great. You know, some great wisdom from a 98-year-old. And, Bill, as you know, we've had Dr. Kenneth Cooper on this radio program, who, as George said, wrote the book Aerobics. And in that book, he also talks about what he calls squaring the curve. Other people call it compressed morbidity. Not only can you continue to live like George Etzweiler is today, being active at 98, but when your time does come, typically you, you avoid this long, lengthy uh, decline, uh, uh, these periods of disease and disability. You go very, very quickly. So, you know, George has really got it figured out. And it's not just the physical feat. It's the mental sharpness that he has. He's involved with his son and his grandson and the entire community rallies together to watch this guy do his thing. You know, that's a great point. Uh, there, There is one study after another now that talks about the benefits of exercise. And the number one benefit of exercise, and nobody could say it better than George just did, you don't have to run up a mountain, but you have to, you have to keep moving. And the number one benefit uh, is is cognition, is the ability to avoid getting, uh, you know, some sort of cognitive decline as you get older. So the big question mark from there is, folks, what's your mountain? 
What are you going to do to help you not just live longer, but to live better as well? We've been talking to one of the fittest 98-year-olds in human history. The guy holds the all-time record for people in their 90s in the Mount Washington road race, and his goal is to run it when he turns 100. If he can do it, so can you. That's George Etzweiler, and this is Growing Boulder. Coming up, she starred in movie classics like Casino Royale, Airport, and Murder on the Orient Express. You betcha. Hear why Jacqueline Bissett loves her life as much today as ever. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton, and very anxious to speak to a true Hollywood legend, an international film star since the 1960s. She has starred opposite Steve McQueen, Frank Sinatra, Paul Newman, Charles Bronson, Anthony Quinn, Christopher Reeve, and many, many others. She's worked with most of the legendary directors of our time, Roman Polanski, John Huston, and Francois Truffaut. She's been nominated for Golden Globes in each uh, in five of the last six decades, and Time Magazine has called her the most beautiful actress in history. In fact, she once appeared on the covers of both Newsweek and People Magazine in the same week. Lately, she's starring opposite Ben Kingsley in her latest film. It's called Backstabbing for Beginners, a gripping thriller which is based upon a true story about a corruption scandal in the U.N. aid program. Welcome, the one and only Jacqueline Bissett. Hey, Jackie, how are you? Oh, my God. What a lead-in. What a lead-in. I, did I really do this, all those things you mentioned? And you're, far, <laughs> and you're far from finished. Is it okay if I call you Jackie? I know all your friends do. Um, yes, some of them do. Some of them, yes, of course, of course. I appreciate that. You know, I imagine that you are offered countless roles, some better than others. What was it about this latest project that caught your interest? First of all, I'm not offered countless roles. One is, it's not easy to find a good role. And um, that image of, of sitting there, just people picking, hand-picking, it's not the case at all. It's, um, you know, you have to look and you have to read a lot and you, have to, you hope for the best. But I found this um, role very interesting and I thought the milieu of it, the atmosphere of this being in Baghdad during these years, this is around 2005, when, when Saddam Hussein was in power, and I found the atmosphere, the idea of being with Ben Kingsley and Theo James was, a, was an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Um, I like, I'm very interested by the Middle East. I'm very fascinated by films about it. And my role is not an enormous role, but it's an interesting role. And she has personality and she's, she's a woman of, um, moral anger. I would say she's really annoyed. I'm not annoyed, really angry at what's going on. There's tremendous corruption going on and she is fighting it. And Ben Kingsley is playing both sides of the coin. You don't really know whether he's involved in the corruption or whether he is just smarter than 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 the others and playing both sides. But um, it's intriguing, and she um, she is a threat to his success. We're talking with uh, Jacqueline Bissett uh, about her latest film, Backstabbing for Beginners. Uh, uh, And Jackie, it is interesting that even someone of your stature might not find the kind of roles that you're looking for. I mean, you continue to turn out extremely impressive work. You won a Golden Globe in 2014 for the BBC drama Dancing on the Edge uh, and for the movie Welcome to New York. Are you finding it more difficult to work than you want to? Yeah, it's very difficult to find good parts. You know, you, you know, lots of the parts are written. You're just the sort of you, you, you're the um, the standard female, and you don't get to do anything of any interest, and you don't have a real interior life. So I'm I'm attracted to emotion and in in scripts. I'm not particularly attracted to action and um, 
science fiction as an actor. Anyway, I might enjoy seeing them, but um, you know, you, I'm looking for you know, you need the meat of the character. That's what you look for. So I go sometimes and do a film in France, and sometimes I do a film in America. Recently, I've been asked to play French quite often, which huh. is in the film I just did with um, Sarah Jessica Parker. I'm also playing French. I'm playing her French mother, and um, <laughs> it's 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 odd that this time. The, uh, uh, of my life that I'm being asked to play French when I when I've hardly had any of that uh, in the earlier part of my life. I am actually partly French, but it's not a big part. And you weren't exactly playing French, but but very early in your career when you did work for Francois Truffaut, I mean, I've read where you thought that Day for Night might have been one of the greatest experiences that you've had on set. Well, it was, it was, it was, he was a director I really, really, really wanted to work with, and I knew his work well, and I wasn't terribly educated in the cinema of America, but I was quite educated in the French films, English films, and, European, and Italian films at that time. We didn't have television at home, and I wasn't allowed to go to the movies till I was about you know, 16, something 15, 16. So I, I had limited experience of what was out there, and Truffaut's films were one of the ones that I knew. So it was absolutely thrilling to be invited to join his world, which is how you want, if a, if a director has done a body of work, you, you get a sense that there is a world that is theirs, and it's not the same as somebody else's. It's called, I know, it's the personality of the, of the director and the subject matter they, they like, they're interested in. Well, you know, that I think was a thrill. The directors have always liked working with you because you bring so much intellect to the job. You've done amazing, nuanced work in some incredible films. But here's the question that I sense you probably get tired of asking. But even this current <laughs> film, in its marketing, calls you, quote, the deep actress, referring to your role in the 77 film with Nick Nolte, infamous for your wet T-shirt scenes in which you were essentially deceived about what would appear on screen. And then photos from that scene were turned into promotional posters without your knowledge or your permission. Forty-some years later, Jacqueline, are, are you glad you did the deep because it certainly, you know, made you a uh, uh, box office star, or do you wish you would have passed on well, it? Well, I, I, I really liked working with, with the actors and with the director. In fact, it was the same director, Peter Yates, who who uh, used me in Bullet. I was grateful to him, and I that side of things was great. I, I was a little upset about the, putting it mildly, I was very upset about the T-shirt thing, but... Um, I don't know. I, I, it made me stronger to do that film because I was frightened of water and to get through that process and to actually come out alive. And I, I, I felt it gave me something about my, about me, you know, sure. getting, dealing with the fear and getting through it. And it made me stronger. Definitely made me stronger. I haven't put my head underwater since, though. <laughs> yeah, I have the sense that no one has ever taken advantage uh, of Jacqueline Bissett. But uh, you were in your early 20s when you first came to Hollywood. I'm certain that you have had inappropriate things said, perhaps offers made. Are you surprised that it's taken 50 years for something like the Me Too movement to finally mobilize to the extent that it has? Yeah, I, well, am I surprised? I don't know. I, I, um, I have very mixed feelings about this whole Me Too thing, you know. I mean, I certainly don't... I, I did have the odd situation, but I was very determined not to do anything that I didn't want to do. And so that was my attitude. I just said no, and, um, and I learned a few swear words and, <laughs> and, um, and surprised myself. I didn't know I was, could be that tough. I didn't know, but at times it was necessary. And... I, I'm, it's a very complex subject, this whole thing, you know, the combination of people wanting to please, they want to be pretty, they want to be attractive, and, you know, it's very dangerous you, when you get into the whole world of sex, of course, is a very dangerous world. And um, I, I think you have to be very careful, and I don't believe in, I'd really, I always say, people say to me, can I advice, can I get, can I give them, I say, don't do anything that you you don't feel proud of, don't you know, keep your self-respect and and just just say no. Walk away. Don't don't be talked into stuff that that feels wrong. Well, I mean, if you want to, I will feel if if you want to sleep with somebody you really want to, well, then that's your business. But anything, um, I just really. I, what, I, what I do hate though is how people are punished, being th thrown out of their lives mm -hmm. without any real facts. 
So it, that's very bothersome. Well, let's wrap this up, because I've seen many interviews, Jackie, where you speak openly about your age, which, uh, you know, is now 73, or certainly unlike any 73-year-old woman that, that you and I knew when we were growing up. What's the secret? What's the Jacqueline Bissett takeaway about how to age successfully and happily? I don't have a secret. It's a day-to-day thing, you know. It's a day-to-day thing. You try and look at the day and see the positive. I mean, there's so much misery going on in the world that you have to balance yourself. And I mean, compared to many people, one is, I mean, I'm incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. But there are, there are difficulties that come with, with living anywhere and whatever state you're in or whatever your economics are or whatever your, or your, how your health or whatever. But you have to somehow not, not be, have a little humbleness. I think a little bit of simplicity, you know, and not get all caught up in all these fake, these fake things that make people's lives miserable because they're not real and yet they lead people's lives into misery because they want so much and they're so greedy greed is a terrible thing i think and it takes you just takes you nowhere good so i try not to be greedy and i live fairly simply and i try and i nourish my internal um health mentally and and physically i try to eat right and stuff but that's lots of people do that i think it's i think a degree of discipline and um and i really do think that how you think affects your face so you've got to be careful you've got those grumpy thoughts and the mean thoughts they start showing and they start showing a lot quicker than than you think they'll you know they come (laughs) in early those (laughs) all that um once again, greed. Um, got to stay away from that thing. Well, that, yeah. that's some incredibly valuable advice from a woman who truly has been captivating audiences for 50 years, one of the most respected and well-liked leading ladies of all time. Her new film is Backstabbing for Beginners with Ben Kingsley, a thriller about a vast global conspiracy. You can see it now on demand. Jackie Bissett, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. And before we leave you, a reminder, you can find all things Growing Boulder by checking out growingbolder.com and look for us on your local public television station. Also, you can join the conversation by following us on Facebook and most other social media outlets. All right, Mark, I've got a takeaway before we go. Next time you hear someone described as old, because you do hear that on the news, take a minute and think about what that means. Is someone in their 70s old? Cher is. So's Dolly Parton and Mick Jagger, too. Do they seem old to you? It's time to stop trying to define people by their age alone. It's a whole new world out there where it's not about age. It's about attitude, and that's Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing bolder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. <laughs>